I'd say we it's fairly relaxed as a podcast. Um, yeah, I, I for about an hour. try yeah. to, uh, to 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 listen to a few just because you know I like to know exactly what the tone, what the preferred tone of a podcast is, or whatever. What I don't want to. I don't want to mess into? up. Your, yeah, what am I walking into? <laughs> and I don't want to mess up your thing. Uh, but I was very pleased to see that. Wow, everything's really nice and chill and conversational, and a lot of really smart people. So I don't know if I can help you out on that end, but at least. At least it I mean, seems very relaxed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what we aim for. We aim for relaxed. I mean, I, I make up 50% of the dumb on the call. So we might hit 100% today. <laughs> we'll In that case. We'll get started. Thank sure. you for coming on the show. Welcome to the show, Graham. Thanks. I'm very, very happy to be here. Which is, I, I, the more I said that kind of prior, like your name, because my name's Graham, it, it weirded me out. Well, do you not, do you, you know, I presume in England, UK, you would have come across more Grahams than you normally do? Very, not, that, not as many as you'd think. Because huh. I, I found about three, I think. Interesting. Because I found, you know, I spent, oh gosh, 26 years living and working in the States, mostly mm -hmm. on the West West Coast in San Francisco area and then Portland. And uh, my name was like foreign, like so weird to people. Like they just could not. And mo a lot of people just couldn't wrap their heads around. I was always called Grant or Grant. Greg, Greg. It was always like a weird thing yeah. that it would go to um but since returning i've only recently come back to live in canada which is where i was born and raised um people seem to know graham here and i i just put it down to okay it's probably the it's the british empire thing i think i think the uh, legacy of that name is just more british in tone i suppose yeah it's the, it's the scars of our, our retreat just like <laughs> remaining remaining behind and i appreciate the fact that you you pronounce it the same as i do <laughs> Yeah, because the the commonality is, is gram, gram. Yeah, you you just drop and it. It just your, I don't know. It just hurts me. <laughs> you're suddenly you're suddenly part of the metric system. It's weird. Yeah, I'm suddenly just gram. <laughs> I don't even use my name when I go to Starbucks because it, well, yeah, they get it wrong so often. So I call myself Frank because it's easy go. to understand and it's American. Yep. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, cool. So I mean, we'll, we'll start off with the basic question: Who are you? <laughs> well, I'm Graham. <laughs> Isn't it obvious? I'm going to have an exist existential crisis. But <laughs> uh, who am I? I don't know. Uh, you know, I have been working in animation and comics for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. uh, and the more projects and things I do, the more I'm told to try to distill down the that the answer to that and as you can already tell i ramble and i don't know how to answer that really neatly and nicely but yes i i've been a filmmaker uh an animator a cartoonist is i guess the word that i like to use the most because i feel like that gently blankets and overlaps a lot of things that i do but i've worked yeah. in over the years i've worked in video games i've worked in film i've worked in uh comics i've kind of just been a in between and on top of all kinds of things within those mediums mostly um so yeah i uh i guess if people are really trying to figure out who the heck i am the thing i'm probably known the most for i co-directed the box trolls which was a animated feature at leica 
number of years ago. Um, and I've been, I was a story artist there for Coraline and Paranorman and a little bit on Kubo and of course the Box Trolls. Um, so yeah, I've, I've done a bunch of stuff and I continue to do a bunch of things. I, I try hard not to get put in a box, but uh, it's, sometimes it's probably smarter to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can very much appreciate that. I, I mean, it's a conversation I have with myself quite a lot, which is, I don't, you know, I don't want to be pigeonholed. I don't want to be one nope. thing. I, I want to be all these things. Yeah. But like you say, it's a lot easier to kind of find an audience, get the right thing if you if you only do one thing. Well, yeah, because we all, none of us have the capacity to absorb a whole plethora of things that somebody does. They just want to know like, oh, that's the guy to go to for this, or that's the person that I would watch for that, you know, and I, and I get it. I totally get it. But as an artist, yeah, I want to be able to do anything I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> just just have things happen and, and do things. Yeah. I mean, like, like you say, you. I mean, when I kind of looked you up more, so I, I originally found your work, as you said, through the box trolls. That was the, my first kind of real encounter with you. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that it wasn't. Oh. Because I, I looked up the previous things you'd done and, you know, the other, other films you'd worked on and... You know, you were involved with the Goofy movie at one point, I think. And, <laughs> you know, you 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 do comics and you write Grickle, and there's all these extra things which I suddenly realized that I've interacted with, absorbed all of this media, not realizing who it was coming from mm. and who was involved with it, and that's why I, I kind of reached out mainly because I was like, there's, there's there's a lot of threads to this which I hadn't <laughs> realized. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a, a bit of an onion, lots of layers. Yeah, Ho hopefully uh cool wow yeah goofy a goofy movie yeah that was that was quite some time ago yeah and like, like you say kind of working with video games as well mm -hmm. kind yeah of i uh, yeah yeah i had a lengthy stint working as an animator mostly at lucasarts which was george lucas's video game company and uh and then after that uh working uh with telltale games which might be more people might know that company i don't know they did a lot of adventure stuff yeah and during that time i got to do uh, a game created on my own stuff called puzzle agent which i feel like it's a, it's a toss-up between people either know me from box trolls or they yeah. know me from puzzle agent it's kind of the, the gateway really? yeah i would have thought grickle would have been your main like main uh, you know some some people but uh i don't know these days at least you know it, it kind of shifts as time goes on but these days i do feel like a lot of people know of me through through puzzle agent oddly enough I, I i'm not a person who believes in kind of fate but I'm, I'm i'm willing to accept that heavy coincidence does happen um but it was kind of the same day i got the email from you to say oh yeah we should do this and you know i'm happy to happy to come on i was in a, a used bookstore in new york and i found stickleback oh my gosh a, a copy of stickleback and I, I was buying that at the time and i was like this is nice this is just a nice thing of you know the world aligning <laughs> in its wow view. that's wild yeah i don't imagine there's too many copies to find of stickleback out there these days it's pretty small print run <laughs> that's cool wow it, it was perhaps the most relatable comic i've read in quite a while and, you know um, the whole the whole idea of um just having ideas at the wrong moment mm -hmm. and and getting struck by inspiration and kind of looking there and because i i was thinking the other day i think i was tweeting about it that idea inspiration always comes at the worst time Mm -hmm. But there is no worse time to get that inspiration than maybe four or five situations like running on a treadmill or the middle of, you know, 
being intimate with someone, all of those periods are the worst times to get inspiration. Yes. Yep. So finding it was <laughs> was it was a nice you know bookend. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's great. Um, so I mean to kind of follow up then in terms of the work which you've done. Um, we 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 spoke a little bit about um what we would talk about today. Mm, yes, yeah, I know that was the other part. I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. I I get to pick the topic. It was like, ooh. Uh, and as you know, on on via email, I was suggesting that we could talk about horror comics or stop motion and or stop motion animation. And then I think I've spent the rest of the time now panicking. Like, do I even know enough about either of those subjects to make this interesting? I don't know. Uh, and I, I also realize, and I'll just say this up front, that uh, part of my reason for saying horror comics is because it's incredibly self-serving. Because I have spent the last five years doing a horror comic for, for middle school readers, sort of ages 8 to 12. And that's coming out this July. and. Uh, you know, I've been lucky to work on a lot of different things and a lot of different mediums, but this particular project is like the one, th one of the few things I think I've done where I was like, wow, it just, I didn't, I wasn't asked or I didn't compromise on anything in terms artistically of what I wanted to make with this thing. Um, yeah. It's funny to me that it's, I mean, it makes sense, but it's, you know, the publisher and the editor and everybody early early days of looking at it were like oh this is perfect this is a great halloween book for for middle school kids and i didn't even think about that in terms of an audience i was just really trying i was just really making horror stories for myself <laughs> it was something i'd been doing on the side and uh and put them together into an actual thing that i could present and when they said it was for middle school readers i was like huh i guess that is naturally where my sensibility lies i don't know but anyway that was the self-serving reason for me to bring up the topic of horror comics and now i've just done my little blurb and we can leave it at that i don't want to be turning we this can, a we massive can tell commercial people. i mean yeah i was gonna say we can tell the people to go out by the uh, by the, the book when it comes out yeah well you can pre-order it now if you want it is go. it is out there is but the <laughs> but uh yeah so I thought that and I thought stop motion because stop motion, I've been lucky enough to, to direct a stop motion movie. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've worked at, you know, one of the, probably one of the greatest best studios that's ever existed for making stop motion film or animated features. Um, but uh, I've never actually animated in stop motion. It's the hardest. I mean, animation's hard on any level, but stop mm -hmm. motion is the worst way to do it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Says having uh, worked on many stop motion films. Yeah, but... I've seen enough of it to know that, yeah, I couldn't do what those animators do. Um, it does seem very self-punishing stop motion. Yeah, as, I mean... Yeah, as a, as a, I don't know, as a, as a culture, as a medium, it just doesn't seem... And I, and I say this fully knowing in my head that I want to make a stop motion film or well, stop motion shorts, but I know that it's, it's futile. It's, <laughs> it's so painful. I mean, everything works against you. Um, when I was, you know, dire directing on the box trolls, the Tony Stocky, the other co-director, <laughs> he was very fond of saying it. And it's so true. He was like, man, stop motion essentially combines like the worst aspects of live action filmmaking and animation and then just puts them together. Like everything that <laughs> can go wrong is just compounded by the process of doing it as a stop motion thing. Uh, 
just just so many weird unique things to that process uh one of the ones that i always think about is the the set swell is what we would they would call it um during production and so you know you've got all these stages out there where the animators are working and they're working on physical sets with the physical puppets and all that stuff um and the building the building temperature was such a big deal because if overnight the temperature dropped rapidly or 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 got really hot uh typically it would mess up some of the sets because they would swell or contract enough that it would screw up the shot by the time the animator showed up the next day at work to do something you'd, you'd see this like weird undulating thing in the finished shot and you know they've got lots of different little techniques to safeguard against that where they composite and make sure they can put in a, a still background if they have to but uh just like stuff like that like temperature temperature in a room can screw yeah. up your animation there's no other form of animation that has to worry about the temperature of the room i mean you know it might be cold <laughs> some days when you're drawing or working on your computer but you don't have to worry about it actually messing up your work <laughs> no it's yeah yeah i think i guess that real world aspect you like you say you do just forget about you know there's, there's no way to think of like oh that, there's always that quote about the the library being built and they forgot about the books <laughs> and, and so the, the the library sinks every year like a few feet and yeah when it comes to slow motion that is that's a concern right of like dust collecting on things between the mm -hmm. several years you're working on things and having to clean everything and i don't, I don't know i i was having this thought earlier which i'm, I'm curious what you think about is a, about forms of creation and how we create as kind of human beings it seems mm -hmm. to me that animations the most human because we seem to be the only species that do anything like this mm -hmm. and i don't really know what it says about us as a species that we we started creating things we started drawing on walls and all of a sudden we said to ourselves no we we need to take this further i need to be able to bring things to life and i need to be able to make miniatures of other things and i don't understand <laughs> i I kind of agree. Um, when I started on Coraline and started working on that production and, and storyboarding, again, walked into that, got that job without truly understanding or appreciating what stop motion was and is. Mm -hmm. And it didn't really sink in. Because, uh, you know, as a story team, as a story artist, you're typically the first crew on in production and you're kind of the first crew off in a production because you're doing all the the early work to get everything set up and, and going so when we started there was you know there really wasn't much from the other departments that was built or created at that point everybody was still in the planning stages of things and you know obviously we were helping that along but there was a point where the very first set i think was finished and it was up on stages and it was uh, uh, final lighting and all that was all, it was all set. It was all ready for an animator to get going. Um, and it was the, I don't remember, I don't know if, how well you remember Coraline or that film, but there was the whole other world mm -hmm. and it was what they called the pink palace. And it was the whole Victorian house. And this was the first set that they kind of completed. And, uh, you know, we all, as a story team, we're all like, let's it, let's go sneak down and look at it on stages, and it'll be cool. And so we went all down there, and you know, they're 
the way it is at Leica, and I'm sure it is at most big stop motion places, it's all shrouded in black curtains so that you don't have any light bounce or anything like that. So it's this curtained room, and you just pull, pulled back the curtains, and we went in, and I it was just the I still I just it was the trippiest and most amazing thing because it was this huge set and this entirely miniaturized Victorian home that was like completely you know every little detail was in it and on it and on top of that the the time of day for that particular scene shot whatever was like sort of twilight so it was like this uh dusky kind of orangey glow and they had all these little pinpoint stars in the background and because that film in particular out of all the ones we did at Leica that one in particular I think because it was Henry Selick's film uh you know he he wanted to do as much practically as possible he did not yeah. want to rely too much on CG he wanted that flavor of of everything feeling handcrafted in it um but anyway it was just it blew me away because you walked into that little space and you were just instantly transformed. I mean, it's like going to an amazing art installation, I guess, or, or, or a lot of theater productions and that ability, if it's crafted really well, like it's just wild how it does transport you in a way that nothing else does. There's again, there's no other form of animation that would have that level of like putting you in that mm -hmm. place, you know? And, and I've often said too, that, I mean, the films from Leica are beautiful and they're amazing and they're extra special if you get to see like 3D screenings on a you know massive screen. Yeah. It still doesn't quite get you there, though. Like if you get the opportunity to see these physical things in person, yeah, it's just wild. There's something you're, there's something so innate in us about miniaturizing things. I don't know what it is. I guess it's why we got our little action figures and we like to play with the dolls and all the rest of it. But there's something about miniaturized stuff that is just super appealing to like almost everybody, it seems. It does seem that way. And I, I, the thought I kept having in my head, because I've been seeing a lot of um, kind of just online content of different people creating miniatures and creating these scenes. Um, and the thought I keep having in my head is um, no other species would make a miniature washing machine. <laughs> Like a miniature washing machine to me just seems like the pinnacle of human creation. The fact that not only we did we create a washing machine, we then decided, you know what, I need, I need a scale version of this and yeah. I want to put it somewhere and I want to watch it. Whereas like a dog would never think anything like that. They'd never say, you know what, I need, I've, got, I've got a bone. I want a really small bone. <laughs> Not that I can eat, just to, just to put on a shelf. Just to admire it, yeah. yeah just to study the world a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think animation in itself is that need to emulate life, mm -hmm. which is all forms of art, I suppose, whether it's a painting or whatever. But but yeah, animation goes that one step further where you really are bringing things seemingly alive. And that's just uh, endlessly fascinating for us. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's it's the same as when I think of um, kind of other films as well. And I think whenever there's an animated version, I'm always more interested. Mm -hmm. Well, it's I, that I stylization know. to it, right? That abstraction yeah. of it, I suppose, that, you, that, that gets you intrigued. It's also, conversely, I think the thing that can turn you off pretty quickly. Like, we all have very specific aesthetic things that we get into and i know for myself like i have stupidly dismissed lots of animated films because at a glance i'm like Ugh, i don't really like 
Oh no. The aesthetic, the, the aesthetic's not, you know, the aesthetic's <laughs> but, not appealing to me or I've seen that before or whatever. And then there's other stuff where it's like immediately I'm like, I want to watch all of that. Like every little, I want to consume it all. Like, um, oh my gosh, I knew I'd start forgetting names because I'm terrible. Oh, there's a couple, I think there are a couple. There's a pair of folks. I think they're Danish. Okay. Stop motion people. Um they have done a bunch of shorts. They recently there was a Netflix special called The House. It was oh, yeah. I watched The House. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. So uh, they did that first story with Okay. The, I don't want to give too much away, but you know, turning into the furniture and all. Uh I love everything they've done. Oh my god, every I just cannot get enough of that aesthetic and the sort of felted uh puppets and things. It's just I don't know what it is, man. I just cannot get enough of that. I, I completely easy. agree. I mean I, I to kind of go back to Caroline, I think when I, I remember seeing the trailer for Caroline and my brain just suddenly clicked into gear of I need to see everything that comes out of this place. Right? <laughs> it doesn't matter what they make, I'm now, you know, sycophantic with it. I need to just I just need to see everything because this is exactly this is scratch the itch. Yes. Of, of viewing everything. Whereas like you say, you you know, you see other things and you think you know, you, you kind of just shrug them off. Like, I think the most recent example I can think of for me was uh, seeing all the kind of the the CGI remakes of mm. uh, the Disney films and seeing them and my brain just going, I have no interest in any of that. Yeah. Yeah, that just seems like poorly regurgitated. And that's I, sh I don't want to diss other yeah. films or things because I will also say, uh, having had that experience of co-directing the box trolls, I came out of the other end of that going, I will never disparage anyone who gets to the end of a film production, no matter what shape that <laughs> thing turns out to be, because it is, it's harrowing. There's so many things all day, every day, forever, you know, trying to bring it down. And the fact that anybody completes any major project like that, like hats off, man. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's something I very much try to stay away from. Um, I think, I think it gets lost a lot online as well because you, you know we get so used to seeing negative comments about things whenever i look at something i'm like i've I've had the thought of you know i could i could point out what i don't like about this <laughs> yep but then in my own sense i'm i'm looking back through my old work going yes but i would be crushed if someone said that about my own work even though i can see the mistake which they will point out um yeah <laughs> I yeah i can avoid that a little bit yeah i try yeah i'm same same try to avoid delving into the negativity of it all because it's yeah easy to do and i still fall into it i'm not gonna say i'm not <laughs> but try not to yeah just the, the way what's the way i worded it was uh remember not everything's for you you know it's, you don't yeah. have to say something bad about it you could just ignore it just yeah let someone else enjoy it or yeah yeah yes. there's no no need to rain on parades <laughs> sometimes sometimes there is <laughs> certain parades yes have it coming yes <laughs> I, what I found interesting about, I mean, even now, kind of you mentioning writing a, a horror book for middle schoolers is whenever I looked up your work online, hmm. you were described as quite a dark comic and, and how your work's very dark. Hmm. But obviously my first introduction to, to you really was The Box Trolls, which to me is quite a lighthearted film. And then the other films you worked on, you know, bar from kind of the specifically horror based things we're all quite light and i was like i don't understand where everyone's getting this impression but maybe that's just my personality reading your work and going i can agree with this <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I definitely yeah i 
have come to learn that I suppose the things that I gravitate to on my own are, are I guess, more dark humor-ish, like that video game series Puzzle Agent. You know, uh, not intentionally, but it definitely has been described as a mashup of Fargo meets Twin Peaks. So it's weird and dark and, you know, it is comedic, but yeah, it it goes to sort of scary horror-themed places. Uh, it's, it's the stuff, it's the kind of stuff I enjoy the most, I guess. Um, but I don't, I don't know, I don't, I never set out to do something dark. I just do stuff that's of interest to me. Um, and a lot of people categorize that stuff as dark. And I know that I think my art style, uh, you know, is, is very simplistic looking. It's, it's pretty doodly and all the rest of it. And so I think that can sort of catch people off guard because on the surface, it does look pretty friendly and, and simple and it is, but yeah, but a lot of themes and things that I weave into stuff tend to be what a lot of folks call dark, but I just call funny or interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the way I describe dark. It's, it's most dark <laughs> things tend to be funny or you, you make them funny to avoid being too upset about the dark thing that you're seeing. <laughs> well, there's a level of like, uh, like I, I, again, I love horror things, but I don't like a lot of horror when it's too self-important or too self-serious within its own thing. Like, I don't know. Uh, there's got to be a level of self-deprecation or humor to it. I don't know. It's just, that always works the best for me. Um, I, I do uh, a live drawing thing every Sunday on my Instagram, and it's basically it's uh, it's a way of me maintaining and continuing my friendship with uh, Julian Nariño because I worked with him for years at Leica and we were both story artists and uh, you know, I've since moved away from Portland and I'm far from Julian and it, it makes me sad. So we, we get together every Sunday and we just draw and our favorite, one of our things that we certainly bonded over and continue to bond over is our absolute love of evil dead Two, specifically yeah. that second one by Sam Raimi. And I don't know how familiar you are with that film, but I'm familiar. with that. <laughs> yeah. We talk, <laughs> endlessly about that movie and it's that bizarre combo that that film achieved of of humor and absolute horror that hits like as you mentioned earlier about scratching the itch like that mm -hmm. for me scratched the itch like perfectly i don't know if it's been anything since that has <laughs> scratched it so perfectly well um and it's that bizarre combo of, of funny with uh, you know full-on actual scary things yeah um, I'd say, I don't know. Say, I was just going to say, I think horror to me seems like one of the hardest genres to approach, I guess, in a way. Like, I mean, when I think of kind of the, you know, drama and what's the word, the word is going out of my head. I was going to say tension, but that's not really a, a genre. Mm -hmm. um, thriller, thriller? Thriller. That's the word I'm looking Maybe? for. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of like thriller or, or investigation films or anything like that. There's a very clear formula to what makes it um, fit into the genres whereas horror i mean i don't i don't watch a lot of horror mainly because i can't suspend disbelief enough to kind yeah. of get into it and i think people who attempt it you you you're saying a much higher challenge for yourself because you you know you it's, everyone's scared of something else everyone's scared of different things so to make something horror is is i don't know maybe more of a challenge than 
trying other things? I don't know if you found that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, when I think about the things that I like in horror, again, I, I, I actually don't watch a ton of horror either. Because a lot of it, I just, yeah, I just don't, it just doesn't work for me. It is a level, of, uh, what it chooses to focus on is just not of interest to me. Uh, the, the stuff that works best for me, you know, like I was mentioning Evil Dead 2, like the, the, the combo, combination, the bizarre, unique combination of humor and horror is always something that interests me. Uh, but the other part of horror that always will interest me is that level of, uh, I guess it's sort of Hitchcocky style. Like I don't want to see too much ever. I always want mm. that. I appreciate a filmmaker who can keep you guessing and and uh, that the sense or level of dread or tension that builds within a, a film is always fascinating. If you can hold it, if you can retain that, because it's really hard to do. We're all pretty smart these days in terms of watching films, and we're always looking for that way to go. Yeah, no. Screw this! I've already know where this is going, and I'm done. And you check out, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like I'm trying to think of like uh, Ari Aster. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but he did Hereditary, hmm. and that that to me has been like one of the greatest horror films that's been made in a long in a long while. And it's just because man, it just did such a good job of slow burn buildup of all this tension. And and you were always sort of guessing as to where it was going to end up or go. Uh, and his other one, Midsommar, mm, yeah. is pretty wild in spots. Stuff like that I really, really enjoy. It scares the hell out of me, though. I don't. I, I really do still get really scared. I'm very, very particular about which film I'm going to allow in <laughs> to scare me. <laughs> He's going to be allowed in the house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, I can't... I can't handle watching a ton of horror, to be honest, but I really appreciate it when it's done. I won't say well, but when it's done to my taste, I guess. Yeah, I I think I'm very much kind of along the same lines. I like a horror. I like a horror when I don't know it's going to be a horror. Mm -hmm. Like something where you start watching it and it's just like, yeah, this could be any film. Like. Could be could be literally any film, and then halfway through, you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. When you get that nice twist of something like, oh, this is not that. This is th- yeah. this. I think. Yeah. I think. I mean, it's about probably a bad example. I think the last time I remember that is watching the orphanage. Uh, which is I Gilmore. still haven't seen that one. I've heard that that was good. Yeah. Yeah, and obviously Gilmore Del Toro, um, and which I'm butchering pronunciation of, but. Um, yeah, I think obviously most people know him from creating kind of quite surreal horror um, icons and, and films and stories. And, and I kind of, I I knew nothing about it going in watching it. I, that's always I the seen... best to watch any film, honestly, yeah. right? If you, if you know nothing going in, that's that's the greatest thing because you absorb it so much more. Because I think your brain does, I know my brain, you go into a frantic search of trying to categorize and you're trying to understand the tone. And that's when you you pull it all in but when you go in with the preconceived notion of oh this is a rom-com or oh this is this and you've already got the parameters all safely set up uh it's just not as fun a ride but it's no. weird because hollywood works opposite to that they need you need to know the product you're buying and so all the trailers yeah. do everything they can to make sure you know what you're getting before you go in and that kills all the fun i was just going to say that that it's a complete opposition to what marketing for media does these days mm-hmm. is is just they lay everything out flat yeah and though my main gripe at the minute is uh trailers which cut things up to make sentences 
<laughs> to make make it seem like a scene's happening all at once and like oh this person reacts this way and this person reacts this way but you're watching the backgrounds of the actors and the animations and you're going these are completely separate scenes and they're just trying to make it seem kind of like a sound bite of <clears throat> audio or, or you know whatever they can fit onto tiktok and just watching it going i, I feel like they're almost the they're just butchering people's work now <laughs> like we've yeah, moved oh, past advertising <laughs> I'm sure. And, you know, it, it, I think for the movie studio, I mean, there's there's studios that are just completely dedicated to making the trailers. And so they're mm-hmm. completely outside of what it was in terms of, of making the film. They just get that product and then now have to figure out how to maximize it for whatever trend in marketing is happening at that time and, and try to hit with the ad. Yeah, it's, it's a whole weird process and just how everybody absorbs advertising in general has shifted a lot and it's gotten really weird um yeah i i haven't i don't go to i was just gonna say i don't you know with covid like everyone else i've really and having moved to a new area that we're living in a very small community here that there is no local theater so i haven't been to an actual movie theater in a while and i mean that was the way we used to hear about trailers and see get pumped about what was coming and now it's all through streaming but this you know the streaming stuff is like for all of us is such a it, it just the algorithms and all the rest of it and how it's uh, i don't know i feel like you never it's like you're in a massive video store but you're never sure what part of the video store you're in and you're not sure which things are there or not there and you can't get back to that one part of the store that you remembered seeing something good. And <laughs> it's weird. I don't know. It's weird. It's, weird. Yeah. it's all changed. It's, it's a strange kind of, it's a strange thought. I mean, just thinking on your thought there of being, it's like being in a massive video store. Of, all I could think of is just, you know, being in a blockbuster and all the covers looking exactly the same <laughs> and just looking at the lines of like, I have no idea what any of these are about because every single marketing agency has taken the same route for the poster for the people and so i have nothing and then like you say you, you know once in a while you're going along the you know looking along the lines like seeing that seeing that seeing that seeing that seeing that and then you're, oh oh <laughs> what's this little thing i found on the shelf <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh i don't know just the way we all consume media now it's just ever-changing and uh and always confusing <laughs> it's hard to see where we'll go from this as well i think like maybe 10 years ago you could have kind of predicted this mm-hmm. like as an outcome you could see down the line like how oh, things are going to get a bit more homogenized and social media will take more of an impact and you know things will have to get shorter and trying to get people's more attention because of netflix and redbox and all those kinds of things and yeah when i look at it now i have literally no idea and maybe that's just age based i don't know if kids can look at it and go yeah this is where we're going but- yeah i don't that's what i wonder too it's just like the whole so i have two two boys that are 14 and 11 and you know youtube is kind of their go-to in terms of finding stuff or watching things that entertain them and a lot of it is youtubers just playing games and things but but they see and hear because of the way the advertising works on youtube these days they do see little movie trailers so they they get things that pop up in their peripheral of things they'd be interested in i don't know it's just it's their whole basis of how they consume entertainment is so different now like and i'm not saying it's a bad thing it's just a different way of doing it yeah and and so much of their focus is 
is clearly on video games as opposed to films and TV shows. They do enjoy and they will watch TV and series and and movies, but so much percentage-wise, so much less than what I know I consumed. Like I was, you know, movies were the pinnacle. That was the thing. The film that was that was like the feature film was the top way to tell the story, watch a story, absorb a story. And that does not that's not the case anymore. It just isn't the way the way series works for TV or streaming. Like uh, it's amazing to me how much that is. It's just so effective for telling big stories and to getting to that level of immersion you kind of enjoy when you read a book, you know, mm. like you, you can go into all the backstories and context of so many characters and, and a really well done series on HBO or wherever, you know, has that ability because you can spread it out over the 12 episodes or, uh, you know, and if now feature films feel like, wow, they're just such an abbreviated <laughs> thing. I mean, the movies keep getting longer. Like it's amazing. Yeah. Like the, the, running length of stuff these days tends to be easily over two hours all the time now. And that was a big deal. If you went over two hours of production yeah. and I've, now I've, it's kind of commonplace. I vividly remember um, someone telling me that Titanic was two hours and or something like that. as a kid and, and, be, and thinking two hours, that's a long film. Like, yeah. Who's going to sit yeah. through that? There's an intermission. What? Like that's, that's insane. Who's going to, no one's going to stay for snacks and then go back in. So like, <laughs> watch what they want to watch um, but they keep making it longer that's yeah yeah it was become kind of the norm um i don't it, it, yeah it's it's interesting too because i feel like a lot of times my wife and i as far as viewing habits go like there's only so many hours in a day and at the end of the day i'm like i don't know that if i could i don't know that i could sit for two and a half hours for this feature but i will sit for an hour or a half hour and watch a show that I can keep following that story. It depends, you know. I make we 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 make we make the effort to watch film, but there's always this tendency to watch something just a little bit shorter, a little more bite-sized, because mm -hmm. I want to, you know, I want to get to bed at a decent time. And I don't know. It's just so many more options, though. We have so much mm -hmm. more content than we ever did at our fingertips because we yeah. all can go to that video store immediately all the time and find something. I mean, it's in you. It's in your pocket. Like, yeah, it's right there. It's, it's right there in your pocket. It's interesting you said that though, because I find that I'm I'm the other way. I I will watch a film as a throwaway, but it takes me a lot of effort to get invested in a series. Oh, because you know then, you'll end up Yeah. Because I know there's like 10, 12 episodes or whatever. Um I mean, well, maybe like twenty episodes. I'm thinking UK TV versus American TV. <laughs> and looking at that, my brain's going, Yeah, but that's a that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to watch. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you have like a nice rounded out hour and a half? Get mm. you know, get some confirmation and satisfaction at the end of it, rather true. than two series in and then it gets cancelled. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there is that threat for sure. Yeah, I guess you're you're thinking more big picture than me. You're thinking ahead of the entire time you're going to end up investing in it. Whereas I'm just like, well, I've only got about an hour before I want to go to bed, so I'm just going to watch this thing, and I'll. You know, and then progressively work my way through it over over days. But yeah, I don't know. It is it's fascinating. It keeps evolving. It's interesting you mentioned that uh, kind of level of immersion, which kind of video games has brought. Um, because I, again, I was thinking kind of in terms of horror, that to me, 
horror is is one of those ones which immersion is hard generally i think it it, it does work better kind of with games because it's your choice mm-hmm. your choice which is going to hurt you or you know scare you or whatever um, whereas films obviously there's a, there's a level of you can watch and you can look away and then you get books which you're reading word by word so you're putting it together so gradually that mm-hmm. it, you the tension almost builds itself and then i think i've mentioned before in kind of a, a podcast with um uh Kimitron, who's a illustrator from nottingham who was interested in making a horographic novel mm-hmm. and to me i thought that's probably the biggest challenge because the image is already there on the page so as soon as you open it you're seeing everything and depending on how you read a comic your immersion level will be based on the words or based on just you scanning the whole page and consuming all i don't know how you feel yeah uh it is interesting it works similar but different than film for sure in terms of structuring and and um page turns become a big deal you know like staging that reveal of something to be on a page turn is always like i think something you should try to consider and and be thinking towards um i don't know again having having had the opportunity to make this book was really I keep saying scratching the itch, but it was really satisfying in that I got to do something that I've wanted to see for my myself. Like I feel mm-hmm. like um, the comic I made, uh, the aesthetic of it, the look of it, you know, is is in my style. So it's very it's very simplified, and there's something about that that I love marrying that with horror. Um, I did, uh, I don't know if you've seen, one of the other things I have been doing over the years and I haven't done as much of lately, uh, but I created animated shorts on YouTube and I've done a whole bunch of those. I think I'm up to like 80 shorts at this point. Uh, And they're just weird little random ideas and things, whatever. uh, And they're very simply executed, but it's great because I've gotten to explore a lot of things, but of course I, a lot of those could be categorized as animated horror shorts. Um, And it's again, the style, I I don't know. I really like doing something very cartoony, but there's a level of real scare and, and dread and horror to it. And there's a level, I guess, because it's so drawn, so cartoonish, Mm it's sort of disarming it allows you to go to some places that if you drew this realistically it would just be in in poor taste or not it just wouldn't work the same way that it does and i don't know i've thought about this so much i think this is part of the other reason i did mention about maybe just chatting about horror comics because i'm curious how much other people feel the same as me that um there's just i can't point to a lot of things that have already existed that scratch this itch or fill that niche um like one of the things i think about a lot is a long long time ago uh national lampoon magazine i don't know mm-hmm. remember that one if um you know lots of not for children racy things in it so it was always a cool magazine when i was like 11 or 12 to be able to peek into a national lampoon um and a friend got a hold of a copy, but anyway, it was a it was an issue that was dedicated to cartoons, mm-hmm. and 
one of the cartoons in it was this strip called Squeak Squeak the Mouse. And it was by this Italian cartoonist, uh, Massimo Mattatoli. I don't know how to pronounce his name exactly. I've heard since that that particular cartoon strip or comic was what kind of inspired uh, Itchy and Scratchy on on The Simpsons. And, uh, you know, again, it was done like a a weird Tom and Jerry. It was super, super simple cartoons, but it was wickedly gory and crazy like crazy stuff happened in it it was zombies and undead stuff and mice coming back to kill the cat and that thing is just like always stuck in my head it's like that's the kind of i want more horror comics like that maybe not on that level of gratuitous violence and, Mm -hmm. and sexual things but but that simple thing of just simple drawings really having a lot of heft and scare to them is super appealing to me and that's kind of what i tried to do with this book i guess uh it's it's kind of got about five short stories within it but they all fold into one big overall story um and there's a lot of elements of like i guess my attempt to recreate john carpenter's the thing like that level of like crazy weird body horror and all kinds of things, but in a way that isn't like, you know, again, fits for the eight to 12 year old range. If you I was going to say this, like, this is for middle schoolers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when I describe this, <laughs> when I describe the stories, it's like, yeah, there's no way that would work for middle schoolers, but it does, or at least I think it did not. And, and my publisher thinks it will. So I'm hoping I don't end up with a lot of angry letters when this book comes out. Um, but but I think because of the style, because of the simplistic style of it, it allows me and my stories to go places that if you were drawing it more realistically, I don't think you would be able to do that for that age group. I don't know. But at the same time, it's like, regardless of whatever audience it was for, this is, it's for me. Like, this is what I want to see. I, I'm not trying to do this to, to dumb down horror for a younger group or anything. This is straight up as much horror as I can pack into it and scares as I can you know fill fill it with but it is just the aesthetic and the in the place where i want to be creating stuff um i think the puzzle agent game kind of hit that note a little bit too and it was it was uh it was rewarding to see that there was a lot of people that seemed to like that as well and i just yeah. don't see a lot of that out there i guess the simpsons and the treehouse of horror stuff that they do those special halloween episodes kind of get there but because it's the simpsons and because it's for network tv there's there's parameters in place that you know they won't exceed and it'll stay within and they do it really well and it's super clever a lot of those episodes are so great but there is a safeness to where it's going to go that pulls the teeth out of it you know and it's not as as effective as i want it to be when your boundaries are already set there's an expectation like you say to kind of you know, like if I saw a horror film come out of Disney, you know, my brain would click and go, it's a Disney film. They're only, there's only so much they would do. And there's only, mm-hmm. thing that, you know, kind of in this environment. But I think, I think you're right. I think what I, what I appreciate about kind of your, your cartoons and your comics, like you say, is because they're so simple, it allows you to really focus on the subject mm-hmm. as well. Because I, th- I think that's something which I, I suffer as a pitfall from because I'm, I originally started studying fine art. And most of what we were pushed with was when you create something, it needs to be you know almost photorealistic or it needs to be heavily colored, heavily designed. You need to add all these extra details to things. Otherwise, no one will no one will pay attention to it. 
-hmm. and then as I got older and I discovered graphic designers and, and comic artists and animators and I found those designs were so simple you know one line creating a character it meant that you you were seeing it on screen and you're going oh well I've already I've already ingested everything visual I could mm-hmm. about this moment so now I'm paying attention to the subject and I'm paying attention to everything else around it and like you say it kind of it gives you that false sense of security because your brain's gone oh that's great I, I you know I see a cat, it's a cat. <laughs> I know it's a cat it's one color it's simply shaped uh, oh wait no what's happening with the cat <laughs> yeah I guess yeah it pushes the concept and the idea yeah. further in front and and you're not looking through all the quantitative things of, of detailing and lighting and all that yeah yeah I don't know it's interesting but it's just it's what I want to see it's what I want that's where I want to be that's the world I want to be walking around in or, or creating yeah um, is that level so. of simplicity I think stop motion has that effect as well. I yes. think a lot of people see stop motion and they automatically assume, oh, it's, you know, it's it's fun, it's cute, it's for children. And then you you watch some of them. Um, I think the main one which jumps to mind is of kind of like a bait and switch is Mary and Max, mm-hmm. which is I, yeah, I recommend very heavy. it. Yeah, I recommend it to everybody when they mention stop motion and they're like, oh, they don't make adult stop motion. Like, have you seen Mary and Max? Because on the surface, it's quite fun. It's you know about a young girl living in Australia, but then later on, it's it's very dark and deals yeah. with a lot of adult subjects. But I think yeah. a lot of people get blindsided by that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I got to mo- most recently storyboard on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Oh wow! Okay. And that was a great project. That that was like one of the most fun things probably since the days of Coraline to to work on because it's Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafson both directing it and. Uh, there was no pulling punches in terms of the horror level stuff. Like that was part of you know, the flavor, the tone of what they wanted to do. So it was, it was so fun to work on because it hit, it hit those notes again of um, I got to, I got to storyboard the bit where Pinocchio first comes to life. And, wow. and it was great. Cause again, they were like, yeah, don't hold back. Like we, I want you, to, I got to make Pinocchio look like the most weird twisted heap of limbs and wood coming to life and they wanted it very frankenstein-y kind of feeling and yeah. it was so cool to work on stuff like that that just uh embraces again just doing scary stuff with with really simple and abstracted things i don't know it's really f- endlessly fun i guess yeah if you can make the mundane scary i think that's 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 a key right that's a talent mm-hmm. <laughs> <say>. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I it's kind of thinking back of um oh what was I just gonna say? I was thinking back to the, the Pinocchio film recently, actually. Um and kind of I was trying to place it with other films in terms of its tone, in terms mm-hmm. of kind of the subject. And obviously I've seen the original Pinocchio and, and seen various films since then, and I was struggling to find where I would recommend it. Hmm. as a film because it is it's very high fantasy and it's very like you say it has very dark moments and it reminded me of the films i saw as a child like watership down oh wow yes and just thinking yeah i i mean if it, if i was back in the 90s i would have shown that to a child because it's a children's film it's an animated film 
But now I think a lot of people would be very wary of it. And I think the same would be said with Pinocchio. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people would want their children to watch it because it's a, it's a film about Pinocchio. <laughs> um, but at the same time, they would, they might, they might, you know, might pull it back a bit and go, mm, maybe not. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a, the, again, it doesn't really, it didn't really pull any punches. It didn't shy away from things that were going to get a little bit like, ooh, let's talk about death. And, you know, things that uh, I think a lot of parents would like to sort of scaffold up and not hit their kids with so early. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know, the world we're living in, you if you can, if you are in a place where the, you know, kids can handle that kind of subject matter, I think it's important. And it, it felt, uh, that was part of that project. It just, it felt important to, to work on that thing. Like you knew it was going to be something different. You never know how they're going to be received when you're working on these things, but uh, it's been, it's been really rewarding to see that it, for the most part, everybody's really embraced that movie. Uh, it's been like winning all the awards at all the events. And it's like, wow, okay, that's great. That is so cool that what they were shooting for is being welcomed by, you know, at least by the critics and everybody. So. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, as someone who's done a lot of projects, works on a lot of things, like we said at the very beginning of this, um, do you think it's, that's perhaps more important is that you're working on things which you think are important and things which you find valuable than just being involved in projects. Yeah, ideally, but I won't, yeah. Yeah, I won't like, I'll, I won't lie. Like, you know, there are certain realities to working as an artist where you're like, yeah, I really need to make money to pay rent this month. And so you, you're going to work on things that you may not be so full, full hearted into, but mm-hmm. I guess recognizing those opportunities when they do show up and, and the projects that you know are special and, and, and finding ways to, to get involved with them and, and work on them is, is hugely rewarding for sure. Yeah. I agree. And I, yeah. and we've all had jobs to make money. Yep. Yep. And, <laughs> and I'm sure we will continue to have those jobs where things, um, but you know, then some stuff surprises you. Like you mentioned the Goofy movie. You know, I was working, uh, it was very early in my career. I was working as an in-betweener and a cleanup artist on it. It was very, it was the early 90s. It was a very done, very old school. We were still working on paper and scanning things in. And it was really hard work because uh, Disney characters are very sophisticated designs and they're, everybody knows exactly what Goofy looks like and they'll tell you when you're off model. And, yeah. you know, it was it was a lot of hard work and, uh, I was have never really been honestly a huge Disney person. I fully respect and appreciate the level of skill involved and, and the whole history of it. It's you know no denying any of that stuff. But I wasn't a huge Disney fan anyway. It was a bit of a slog for me to work on, but I learned a lot working on that job. But we were only getting a little piece of of the movie at a time because uh, it was being mostly animated in France, and then I was in living and working in Toronto, Canada. And uh, we would just get those packages with the scenes and we would clean them up and in between them and send them back. And I think they got sent to the States after that to whatever put them together. Anyway, had no idea what that film was really about. Mm. Just that it was a goofy movie, (laughs) like the title said. And uh, I went to the theater when it came out to see it. And I was like shocked and surprised at how deep a lot of moments in that film were like there was some surprisingly really sincere like uncomfortable interesting bits between the dynamic between father and son and the whole Mm. uh, and you know so there's a lot of times 
been jobs where I thought it was just for the money and it was maybe, but they surprise you, you know, there, there are things that are being said and, and expressed in these pieces of art that you didn't think were there. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I, I can agree. I've been in situations where you, you, you're doing a lot of the same thing or doing something very simple and you're like, this isn't, this isn't what I want to do. Yeah. You know, this isn't me. Yeah. This isn't me. <laughs> and you get to the end and you're like, actually, no, I'm, I, it wasn't for me, but I learned something and it's made people happy. And that's, that's the key. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. I think we're coming up to time. So I only really have one question left for you. Okay. Well, actually, I mean, I have two, two things. I want first, first off, I want to get a little sycophantic and just say thank you for the work which you've done because your films have meant a huge amount to me and, and your comics and whatnot. So I very appreciate for coming on the show. Oh, um, thanks. And but I also realized that there's not much way to follow that up when someone gives you a massive compliment of much <laughs> to say. So I'll move on quickly to my next point, <laughs> which is I'm asking every guest this year, uh, who should I speak to next? Who do you think would oh, enjoy coming on and doing this? Who to speak to next? Uh, let me think. Let me think. <laughs> you know, because we've been talking so much about stop motion and all that it entails, somebody who's always amazing to talk to in anything on any subject uh, would be Georgina Haynes. Mm -hmm. And she was the head of puppets uh, on the Pinocchio film. Oh, wow. Okay. So Georgina is always fun to talk to. I can find um, a way to contact her. I will. I can. I can probably help you along with that. Um, I don't know. You know. I don't know what her schedule or things are like these days. She's a busy lady, but uh, yeah, she's always great for a conversation. Definitely. Yeah. I'm. I'm. As I kind of say to every guest, I'm. I'm happy and willing to chat to anybody and everybody. I. I find people who. I find interesting, but mm -hmm. this year I've I've taken a little step and like I should I should find other people who would be recommended to me as that's, well that's that's smart because yeah just keep branching yeah. out and, yeah eventually yeah. Uh, one by one i'll just gradually gain people and, and <laughs> everyone will know because i'll have interviewed them at least once in their lifetime yeah yeah <laughs> that's yeah that's awesome right in that case uh, yeah we're coming to the end uh, anything else you want to say to anybody Graham? uh no just that I've, I've this has been a very pleasant chat like i said i i got the impression this would be fun and casual and my my goodness it was <laughs> i mean that's always the goal i can tick a box there in that case uh yeah thank you thank you for coming on again and uh, we will talk to these guys later yeah that sounds great thanks